Well, thank you, Tyler. So much talent uses it for the glory of God. We appreciate you so very much, brother. Today I'm going to give an illustration of the principle that I taught last week. The principle we looked at last week was the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Today I hope to illustrate that principle. You know, life has some serious, serious topics. Uh, one of those topics is death. And what the world tries to do is to make fun or light of severe topics like death. I want to give you an example of that. It's kind of funny. I, I'll be honest with you, I laughed at it for several days and uh, perhaps it's inappropriate to go ahead and use this on such a topic, but I want to bring some levity to the, to the message today. There was a very old man who was, lying, uh, was dying in his bed. In death's doorway, he suddenly smelled the aroma of his favorite chocolate chip cookies coming up the stairway. He gathered his remaining strength and lifted himself from the bed. Leaning against the wall, he slowly made his way out of the bedroom and with even greater effort forced himself down the stairs, gripping the railing with both hands. With very labored breath, he leaned against the doorframe, gazing into the kitchen. Were it not for death's agony, he would have thought himself already in heaven. There, spread out on newspapers, on the kitchen table, were literally hundreds of his favorite chocolate chip cookies. Was it heaven? Or was it one final act of heroic love from his devoted wife, seeing to it that he left this world a happy man? Mustering one great final effort, he threw himself toward the table. The aged and withered hand, shaking, made its way to a cookie at the edge of the table, when suddenly his hand was smacked by a spatula from his wife. Stay out of those, she said, they're for the funeral. I'm sorry. It's, uh, there, are, there are some jokes that I just cannot get out of my head. And I have laughed at that for three days. Isn't that terrible for a preacher to laugh at a joke like that? I mean, what the world tries to do is make light of a serious situation. But if you're going through it, it's not very funny. What I want to do today is I want to look at a serious situation. Because it may not be you but it may be somebody else. The story that we're going to look at today is only found in the Gospel of Luke. It's not in Matthew, not in Mark, not in John. It's unique, just as all of our situations are unique. Kathy read it a little earlier. I'd like to read it again. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. And then he went up and touched the coffin. And those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. When you first hear this story, you're saddened by the circumstance. But we want to kind of answer a question today. And the question is this, why should Christians fear or revere the Lord? Kind of illustration of what we presented last week. 
So if you're following along, there's an outline provided for you on the back of your bulletin. Here is point number one. The reality of loss, L-O-S-S, the reality of loss. Now let's look at this a little more closely to pick up the specific pain that we see in this text. Jesus is going to a town called Naino. Now to put this in context, Jesus had just been in Capernaum. And in Capernaum we saw the story of the centurion who Jesus commended for his great faith. And there was a man that was dying, a servant of this uh, great leader, and Jesus restored his dying body back to life. Jesus then travels 25 miles from Capernaum to Nain, and as he is being followed by some people that are interested in what he's doing, a crowd of people, he is going into this city called Nain, and as he's coming in there, he's met by a procession of people coming out. So the picture that we see is a, a crowd coming to the city of Nain and a crowd coming out of the city of Nain. Verse 12, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from that town was with her. So if you can picture this in your mind, you've got one large crowd coming into the city, one large crowd coming out of the city, and in the middle you have Jesus and this woman. Friends, first of all, this is the providence of God here. Have you ever noticed God's timing in your life? Isn't it interesting how God puts people in your path at particular times? We just call them circumstances or situations that just happen. And we neglect to look at the bigger picture. God strategically in our lives puts people in there for his purposes. Sometimes to bless us, sometimes to discipline us, but to do something in our lives. We may not always know what at that particular moment. You could say in this situation, here's one crowd coming to the city that saw a dying man come to life and one crowd's coming out of the city that saw a living man die. And the two crowds are separated by Jesus and a woman. Secondly, as we look at this woman, it gives us some very dire circumstances that she's walking in. Pain, the reality of loss. She's a widow. At some point, she had lost her husband. On top of that, now she loses, watch this, her only son. And because of that, you'll see the quote in your outline, the death of a widow's only son was the greatest misfortune conceivable. So she's now at the bottom of the social ladder economically. So put these pieces together. She lost her husband. She lost her son. Now she lost her economic support. We see the reality of loss. It's been my experience when you see this kind of loss, there are two types of tears that a person like that has. There are the external tears of pain and suffering that we all see, but there's also the internal tears of pain and suffering that we don't see. And the internal tears are fought alone. It's the hidden battle. God, why? My husband, my son, my only way to live, everything is lost. It's all gone. Can you imagine the, the emotional pain that she's going through as she's leading this procession of people outside of this city to go bury her son, probably still grieving over the loss of her husband, and thinking, how am I going to live? How am I going to make it? I don't have any money. 
the reality of loss. If you saw the movie Forrest Gump, long time ago I know, but there was a scene in there about Forrest's lifelong friend Jenny. She had endured a childhood of abuse and neglect at the hands of her father. Day after day, a lifetime of pain. In one scene, Forrest and Jenny were visiting her old house where all that terrible stuff took place. Forrest then watched Jenny as she began to pick up stones and throw those stones at that house in anger and frustration about her lot in life. Finally, after throwing all those stones, Jenny fell on the ground and began to cry, just weep. And Forrest, in his infinite wisdom, walks over to him, to her, and he says, Jenny, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks, are there? You feel that way sometimes? Jeff, this loss happened. This loss happened. This loss happened. Time and time again, they just go right after each other. And I don't know what to do. There's the external tears that people see, and there's the internal tears that people don't see. And so many of us want to project an image, but it's not the real you. And you, you have this battle on the inside. God, where are you? God, don't you care? God, I have these unfulfilled dreams that have not come to pass. God, I've got these hurts that have come to pass. There's one crowd coming this way that's really grieving, and one crowd coming this way that's just experienced victory. And I'm stuck right in the middle. What do I do? So let's just lay the foundation before we go any farther. In life, Jesus says, we will have trouble. Most of us spend our lives to not have any trouble. But in the providence of God, circumstances happen where we will experience loss. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Doesn't mean God doesn't care about you. God has his purposes for each and every situation that we walk through. But the truth of the matter is, just like this woman, we will experience the reality of loss. Have you ever been there? Am I preaching to the choir this morning or preaching only in the mirror? Because if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you've experienced loss. What I want you to see, though, uh, perhaps people have seen your external tears. How are you on the inside? Are the tears still there on the inside? Most of us like to just put our noses up and just go forward. I can fight this. I can, I can go forward. And we're hiding the real us and our lives just become paralyzed spiritually. We can't go anywhere. We don't know whether to trust the Lord because of the loss. We don't know where to go because of the loss. So we just fight through life going forward, going forward, going forward. But you see, God puts situations in our lives to teach us more about him. We don't know enough about them, so he gives us something so we'll learn more about them. If we never had troubles, we'd never seek them, would we? A deep trial means God wants you to go deeper with him. And I'm not trying to make light of the pain. It hurts. It hurts a lot. But it does not mean that God has abandoned you. And it does not mean God has forsaken you. And it definitely does not mean God doesn't love you. We cannot determine the character of God by our circumstances. We determine the character of God by the truth of his holy word. And by what he's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. 
When we project our difficulties upon his character, it puts a wedge in our relationship with him. Sometimes, I'm not referring to loved ones, God will remove things from our lives because we love it more than we love him. So what we see here is something that's a fact of life, the reality of loss. As hard as we try, this is going to happen. God will, in his infinite wisdom, allow us to go through difficult circumstances for a reason. Let's look at point number two. In this case, not in every case, but in this case, you see the restoration of life. Now let's read verses 13, 14, and 15 together because we see kind of hinges on a door here. The situation is beginning to change. When the Lord saw her, now, now just stop there for a second. I want you to see something. Let's, let's take time to read through the text slowly. Notice what it says. The Lord saw her, but it doesn't say she saw Jesus. A lot of times when we're going through the reality of loss, we are so pained on the inside that we don't look on the outside. So what you see taking place here is Jesus saw her, though she didn't see him. Let's, let's kind of update that to our circumstances. Jesus sees us in our circumstances even when we don't see Jesus in our circumstances. It doesn't mean you haven't, uh, the Lord's abandoned you. Okay? The book of Hebrews tells us he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. So verse 13, when the Lord saw her, watch this. I love this. His heart went out to her. That's the word for compassion. From the inner being, he hurt for. So many of us, when we go through difficult times, we think, God doesn't care. Have you ever said that? God doesn't care about me? Notice what this says. His heart, when he saw her, hurt for her. Uh, we kind of look at it like this. When bad things happen, God doesn't care about me. He loves others. He doesn't love me. And we go through this mental gymnastics to try to figure it all out. His heart went out to her, and he said to her, don't cry. On the surface, that seems pretty tough, doesn't it? Of course she should cry. She just lost her son. What do you mean, don't cry? If you look at the Greek text, that phrase, don't cry, there literally means this. I'm not finished yet. The reason I don't want you to cry is because I'm not done yet. So often we put periods after sentences that God never puts a period after that sentence. So often we stop God from working when God has no intention of stopping working. We come to conclusions that our Heavenly Father has never come to. And we put on Him our will at the expense of His own. Notice what this text says. Don't cry. Or I'm not finished yet. So let's just give a little optimism here today, okay? You might have experienced the reality of loss for a while. You've seen the external tears. You've seen the internal tears. You still might have the internal tears now. Could it be that the Lord is saying to us, I'm not finished yet? Or have you written it off? Have you said, this situation will never change? Why would you short-circuit the one who never short-circuits us? Why would you tell him, uh, whether verbally or not verbally, that he's finished in your situation when he could very well be just one-third of the pathway? 
You see, time for us has to be short, but time for the Lord is perfect. Uh, we always think God's timing's off, but His timing's never off. He created time. How could timing be off for Him? And then Jesus went up to the coffin and, those, uh, and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. So after Jesus tells them to stop crying, He does something that's very unique. Now, the word coffin here is buyer, and it literally means like a plank. So it wouldn't be like a coffin that we see nowadays. You could see the, the, the body that's coming up on this plank. There's different words that could be used to describe this. But basically you see this, this plank coming out of the city with this young man on it. By the way, the word young man means youth. As some commentators say someone under the age of 40. The point of it is the breadwinner for the mother. So you see this young boy coming out and Jesus touches the wood plank. Now, in Jewish ceremonial law, that was forbidden. You defile yourself when you touch a dead body. You're not supposed to do that. But we're talking about Jesus here, the creator of the law, the creator of life, the creator of everything. Some commentators said it like this, when a human being would touch the body, they would become defiled. But when Jesus touched the, the coffin of the body, defilement couldn't touch him. What Jesus touches unrighteousness flees. We want Jesus to touch our various situations so the unrighteousness and its consequences would flee. Don't we have a wonderful God? Anybody here want Jesus to touch your circumstances? I do. At first he gives her an encouraging word, I'm not finished yet. And then he touches the coffin. The creator of the law fulfills his law and changes the circumstances as only he can. And then Jesus speaks. You know, we pray all the time, I hope you do, in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Oh man, we need that in our circumstances and our situations, do we not? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What we see here is Jesus says, young man, I say to you, get up. Young man, I say to you, get up. Jesus is breathing life into this situation. And I know that in our enlightenment age, our rationalistic age, we deny such miracles, but never prevent the Lord from doing what you limit him to. God can do whatever he pleases. This is the first of three resurrections that we see in the Gospels. He says to a little girl later, Talitha Kum, get up. He says to Lazarus in John 11, get up. When the Lord speaks... <laughs> Everything obeys. Creation obeys. The only thing that has a hard time obeying when the Lord speaks is the human heart. When Jesus speaks into a situation, storms stop, demons flee, but the human heart says, I don't think so. But when you see the restoration of life, here's the point. Jesus restores or brings to life that which is broken or dead. Okay? Okay. When Jesus speaks, circumstances change. Don't you like it when circumstances change by the divine hand of God? A lot of times we insist on seeing God change our circumstances. God says, excuse me, I speak, things change, then you see. The world says, when I see it, I'll believe it. God says, you believe it, then you'll see it. There, there's a difference in the way God works from the people of this world. But isn't it cool when circumstances change? I saw this little illustration back in the 1980s there was a kind-hearted man who owned a small sign shop 
He was, very, uh, he was a good businessman, though very not financially prosperous businessman. But he treated his customers with respect, fairness, and kindness. One day he had gone shopping at a shopping mall, and when he came out, somebody stole his pickup truck. That's not a very good reward for a righteous man's activity, is it? Somebody stole his truck. And you, you, it's a terrible feeling coming out. You come out of a, a, a business and your truck's gone. Okay? Yeah, y'all know. <laughs> well, Paul Harvey heard about this story. And if you're familiar with Paul Harvey, this is one of his stories that he told. The man's name was Kerry, uh, Kelly Terrell. Somebody stole his 1975 Chevrolet pickup truck. And he said in the article, they can take my truck anytime they want to. You're thinking, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. See, what happened is he got a call a little later. They found his truck in the very exact same shopping mall parking lot. And when they went to get it, something amazing had happened. The truck had a fresh coat of paint. Many things had been repaired. And they found a three-sheet page list of all the things wrong with the truck that needed to be fixed. But they didn't know who did it, and they had no idea who stole it. But the person who stole it, painted it, fixed it, brought it back with a list of other repairs that are needed. And the guy said, they can take my truck anytime they want to. Now, a lot of times, my point here is that that's not the way you do it, right? That's, just, that's not the way you do it. You don't get your truck stolen, fixed, and then bring it back. A lot of times we superimpose that mindset on the Lord. We say, God, that's not the way you do it. Let me tell you, God, how to do this. God says, excuse me? What right do you, Clay, have to say to the potter, this is how you do this? See, God reminds us who he is and who we're not when we go through difficult situations like this. But be assured that when God takes us through the reality of loss, it's to remind us of the restoration of life. Point number three. We're almost through. The reverence for the Lord. Now here's the point of all this. Remember we talked about it at the beginning? The principle here is Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Let's look at this text. Because we're going to see this term right here. They were filled with awe and praised God. There it is. Fear of the Lord. When they saw this taking place, they were filled with awe and praised God. And they said, a great prophet has appeared among us. They said, good God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. So notice the little phrase there. They were all filled with awe and praise God. Notice the connection. When they saw the hand of Jesus moving through the reality of loss and the restoration of life, something happened on the inside of them. At one time, we, we might have internal tears, but there can be a change that takes place upon the restoration of life, filled with reverential awe. Let's just put this in perspective. Could you say that defines you? When is the last time you were filled with awe about our God? So that it turned into praise for our God. You see, notice the connection. All leads to praise. The negative is no all, what? No praise. If you're not praising, you've lost the all of God. When they saw God's hand move, they came to the conclusion, man, what an awesome, powerful, wonderful God. Who can do what Jesus just did? 
Jesus changes circumstances when you and I give up on him. Well, Brother Jeff, you don't understand. This, this circumstances is so hard. God can't fix this. Really? Maybe in his wisdom he has something uh, that we don't know yet. Or it's taken so long, Pastor Jeff. I don't understand. Yeah, I, I don't either. I'm not God. But don't think you're alone. I go through it too. <laughs> we all go through it. But it doesn't change his character. And it doesn't change his goodness. It sure doesn't change his power nor his wisdom. You've got to come to the conclusion that he is awesome. He's awesome. And when you get filled with his awesomeness, you're filled with awe, and that leads to praise. That's why he allows us to go through this in the process. I like the way this is literally said. Fear of God took possession of all. I mean, you're, you're filled with the reverence, the fear of the Lord. And as you follow this sequence, they concluded, hey, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help us. Can you say that? God has come to help me. Or can you say God has come to help them? God has come to help others, but not me. The news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Don't you love it when you hear the activity of God in faithful people? They didn't quit. I'll close with this story. This is in Max Lucado's book, Glory Days. It's one of my favorite stories. You'll look a long time before you see a better man than Wes Bishop. He had a quick smile, a warm handshake, and a serious weakness for ice cream. That would apply to many Southern Baptists, I believe. For more than 35 years, he kept the same job, loved the same wife, served the same church, and lived in the same town. He was a pillar in the small Texas town of Sweetwater. Wes never missed a day of work until a few months ago he is diagnosed with brain cancer. We asked God to remove it for a time it appeared that he had, but then the symptoms returned with a vengeance. In a matter of a few weeks, Wes was immobilized at home in hospice care. The sons took turn keeping vigil as their mom, so their mom could rest. What they did is they put a baby monitor next to Wes's bed, though he'd hardly spoken a word in days, and they wanted to hear him if he called out. One night he did. But he didn't call for help. He called for Jesus. About one o'clock in the morning, the youngest son heard the strong voice of his father on the baby monitor, and he said, Jesus, I want to thank you for my life. You've been good to me, and I want you to know when you're ready to take me, I'm ready to go. As it turns out, those were the last words he ever said. Soon went home to be with Jesus. <laughs> when I read that story, I was filled with awe. The one who's in control is in control. Even when we're not. That should fill us with awe. I tell you, when you're filled with awe, you'll praise. And when you're not filled with awe, it's hard to praise. Praise has an object. And his name is Jesus. And he's good. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise uh, wisdom and discipline. Let's be filled with all today. Let's pray. Gracious Father, what a good and holy God you are.
Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for every breath that you give us. Lord, we all experience the reality of loss, but we also get, thankfully, by your grace to experience the restoration of life. But Father, today, as an act of our wills, we revere you. We fear you, and we are in awe of you. And we give you praise and glory. Forgive us, O Lord, when we fall short. Forgive us, O Lord, when we complain about our lot in life. You just could be leading us to a better understanding of who you are. And I give you praise. Father, if there's anybody in here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray you'll speak to their heart even now and say, the journey begins today. Place your faith in Christ. For some, perhaps you've called them to become part of this church family. Uh, their journey here at Antioch can begin today. I pray you'll speak that to their heart. Father, only let us not stop revering you. May we go from this place trusting a good and holy God in situations that we've closed off. Do the work that only you can do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be here at the front. If God speaks to your heart, you come. Let's all stand together. Thank you.